for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Well, welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 157, and I am your host, who is always here, Dr. Meg Meeker. You know, if you have young or middle school age kids, you're going to love this show. We'll be talking about kids and worry with psychologist and author Josh Straub. You know, I always try to find the best experts that I can in any field of topic that I'm gonna be talking about. And I'm proud to say that I believe we've really done that over the past years, is present to you professionals who are really fabulous and well-known in their field. Remember, if you like anything that you hear on the PGK podcast, please think about joining my PGK community. You can find out about it at Meeker Parenting. Com. Also, go to my website. I have courses you can check out and um, lots of things there to help you parent your great kids. So let's talk about author and speaker Josh Straw. By trade, Josh is the speaker, author, and family and leadership coach. He's a champion of human empathy. And Josh leads Famous at Home, a company equipping leaders, organizations, military families, and churches in emotional intelligence and family wellness. Josh is the co-author of seven books, including Safe House, How Emotional Safety is the Key to Raising Kids Who Live, Love, and Lead Well, and co-author, along with his wife, Christy, of two children's books, What Am I Feeling?, and what do I do with worry? And really, we're going to be talking about the topic that he covers in his latest book, What Do I Do With Worry? He and Christy also host the weekly Famous at Home podcast. So check out their podcast. All right, let's get into my interview with Josh Straub on this edition of Parenting Great Kids. Josh, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I love being with you, and uh, it's been a while since we got to see each other, so this is a, a, a real blessing today. It is, and I and I love just sort of seeing the the books you're pumping out that are that are so great. And today, I'm, we're going to be talking about your latest book, "What Do I Do with Worry," and. You know, one of the things that I love about your books that most authors who write to kids don't do well, and I get very frustrated, is they'll say, well, this is this book is for a four or five-year-old. And then you look at the text and the and you look at the pictures. The pictures may be okay, but there's far too much text or vice versa. But you hit it just right. You have just enough text and just enough um, pictures to really keep kids interested. So I love that. Oh, thank you. Most of what I love about the book is the topic. Um, what do I do with worry? You know, when I first was reading it, I'll, I'll be honest, I was reading it to my um, five-year-old grandson. And I thought, well, he doesn't know what worry is. He doesn't think about worry. He, you know, has a really great life. So we're, we're sitting there reading it before bedtime. And I was astonished when he started to list some of the things he worries about. And I thought, wow. So 
How did you come up with writing a book on worry for young kids? Yeah, no, thank you for that. And uh, I love hearing stories like that where, you know, parents are surprised to hear because I think kids don't have language for it. They don't know how to voice their worries. And even in the book, Willow, you know, one of her worries is that she worries what she worries that her parents might think that she's silly for worrying or that her worries are silly. And so uh, I think a lot of kids feel like they can't really say anything uh, or they don't have the language to be able to do that. And that's one of the big reasons we wrote it is because we realized that we were seeing worry in our own kids and it was manifesting itself in ways that a lot of times it can show up as uh, disobedience. It can show up as anger. It can show up in other ways. But really what's going on underneath is this uh, this worry, this anxiety, this sense of, you know, I'm, I'm scared, but kids don't have a language for that. And oftentimes what we'll do as parents is we'll focus on the outward. We'll focus on the behavior uh, or, you know, how kids are behaving before we go into the deeper, because we don't have time. We're distracted. You know, we got to get the, right. we got to get dinner on the table. We got to get it cleaned up. We got to get the kids out the door. We got to get home. We got to get ready for bed. That so often our lives are so distracted and busy that, uh, as you said, you were tucking your grandson in the bed. It's often that when we tuck him in the bed or we get those quiet mundane moments that we can really enter into their heart. And we just wanted to give parents language to be able to do that and and really give uh, not just language, but confidence that they, that they can. Well, and that's what I love about the book because, you know, it, it helps us know how to ask the questions because you sort of illustrate it in people in the book. And then that prompts us to know, you know, what to ask. Because it is hard as a parent of young kids a, to know really what's going on beneath the bad behavior and B, how to draw out from them, you know, what they're worried about or is it worried? You know, it, it's kind of like a mystery to parents and grandparents. So how do you encourage parents to figure out whether your, their kids are worried or not, particularly if kids don't know what worry means? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, one of the, um, so uh, the children's book that we wrote before this one is called, What Am I Feeling? And it, it, helps. It has a, a feelings chart in there to help parents. And there's a perforated poster in the back of the book that parents can pull out and they can hang it on their children's uh, bedroom wall or on their door or in the refrigerator or something like that. And one of the ways that we just encourage parents is to be able to uh, use a feelings chart so that children can look and point to maybe a face because children are very visual. And so they can point to a face mm -hmm. to be able to label what it is that they might be feeling underneath it. And so oftentimes what ends up happening and, and we know this neurobiologically that when our fight flight and freeze is going off when we when we are anxious when we are overwhelmed what happens is, is we, we don't think straight. So in other words, what's happening in a child is, you know, they might be acting out, they might hit their sister or brother, or they might um, talk back, or they might get lazy and lethargic and not do what they're asked to do. Or maybe they completely zone out and we're talking to our children and we're telling them to do something. And, you know, two minutes later, we come back and they haven't done it. And you're like, what are you doing? Why didn't you listen to me? When the reality, what's going on underneath, it wasn't disobedience. It was what was going on underneath is 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 their mind just won't stop. They got these worry birds in there. And that's kind of the, the phrase that we use in the book is, is when worry birds uh, flap and bounce all over our minds, making us feel unsettled inside. And, and so often what we'll do as parents is we'll just jump into the negative emotion. 
um, or into the behavior rather than the negative emotion. And I remember one time this happened with uh, our son. So Landon, our, our oldest, he was at school. And I remember like it was it was like springtime where it was getting ready to turn from winter to spring. And so it was, you know, sweatshirt uh, weather. And he had we were asking him to wear a sweatshirt to school the one day. And he was, I mean, absolutely in tears, absolutely like just not, I mean, you're getting ready for school, right? So it's that getting ready for school moment. You're, you're rushing around. You got to make breakfast. You got to pack a lunch. You got to do all these things. And he's just defiant against like wearing a sweatshirt. And we're like, buddy, you got to take a sweatshirt. Like it's too cold outside right now. And he just would not do it. Well, later that night he gets home and I'm, it was that tucking in bed moment. We're tucking him into bed and, and we asked him, tell me about the sweatshirt. Like what's really going on? And we had him, we put out a feelings chart and he pointed and, and he pointed it to, um, I think it was embarrassed is what he pointed it to. And what happened was, was the day before, a couple days before he had a sweatshirt on and he had taken it off in school. And when you take your sweatshirt up over your head, it pulls up your t-shirt too. And his belly showed and another little girl looked over at him and just simply looked at him and said, um, Landon. And, you know, that was what happened. That's all that happened. But for him, it was devastating. It was embarrassing. And but what was coming out for us was I'm not wearing a sweatshirt. I'm not wearing a sweatshirt. You know, we didn't get to the underlying until we took some time to sit with them that night and point to the feeling and, and what might have been really happening underneath. So do you think it's fair to say that every defiant, disobedient behavior lets us know there's something going on underneath the kids? Or are, are some disobedient, impish behaviors just because of the kid's personality? How do you how do you tell the difference? Or is there a difference? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, no, I think there's a difference. I, I do think there's a difference. I, I, I think that there's um, there's times when our kids are just being defiant because they're testing boundaries, right? Or or they just want to be defiant because they want to see, yeah they want to see how far they can go. Um, and then there's also just strong willed kids, you know. Um, you know, our son, our oldest son, I mean, he's, the, the kid's a leader, the kid, the kid tests boundaries. If, if, if he doesn't genuinely believe that you're right about something, he's going to push you and test you to see if that's, so, so it's not necessarily an underlying, you know, feeling going on under there. This is, it's like a personality thing of going, I'm going to figure this thing out and, and I want to get it right. Uh, and so I think that they're, they're you know, not everything has an, an underlying issue. However, if you're seeing some, if you're seeing anger, usually anger is a secondary emotion. Usually something has happened underneath. There might be worry, there might be rejection, there might be sadness, grief, that type of thing that's going on underneath. And so I think that's where it's really important to pay attention to it. You know, in the context of what do I do with worry, you know, Willow, she's, what, what, what she's experiencing is, you know, she moves to a new town and Sam, who's the main character in one of my feeling comes up out you know, from over the fence. So she moves to Sam's town and he invites her to a birthday party. And she's just real. I mean, she doesn't want to do anything. She, you know, she's number one, grieving the fact that she just moved to a new town and lost all of her friends. And now she's worried that, you know, this, this new neighborhood kid and his friends, you know, it's a birthday party for the first time with brand new friends and a brand new people. And she's worried about all kinds of things about whether or not they're going to like her or not. And so that's going to, uh, create behavior in her towards her parents and her grandma on the story um, that might not be typical for Willow um, when she was 
before she had moved, you know, and so before all these other worries came up. And so that's why it's important to, to be able to take the time. I think that's the key thing is taking the time to enter into our kids' worlds because we get busy and distracted as parents and we just, we often just don't take the time uh, because we're busy and we're distracted. And, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's the key, just being able to notice it. Well, I think you're right. You know, we're very, very busy. And I think that a lot of our speech with our kids is um, centers around sort of utility. You know, what are you going to do? When are you going to do it? How do I get you there? Have you got your homework done? Very, very sort of That's good. superficial sort of functions that they need to carry out during the day. But it's relatively meaningless, actually. And I think that we take so much time doing that that we forget the heart of the child. And that's really important to do. Talk to us more about worry. What are the most common things that kids worry about? Yeah, good question. By the way, before I do that, I just want to allude to something that you just said. You know, we do that with our kids and go to the utilitarian piece of that because, you know, that's what's done to us as adults. Oh, you're right. We're all about doing. And, you know, the first thing you do when you introduce yourself to someone else is you ask them what they do, right? It's like, we don't get into the, how many people of other adults are truly sitting with us, listening to our, this is why therapy is so, so huge because we often don't surround ourselves with other people that we can really just enter in and feel safe with. So I think there's a, a trickle down effect as a result of that, to be honest. So we really just parent from what we know. I mean, really what's happening to us is what we repeat with our kids. I genuinely believe that. Yeah. I, I always joked with Walt, we've been married a long time and you know, when he first gets home from work, he's not a great listener. I mean, who is? But anyway, <laughs> you know, and I would be anxious to see him and we hadn't connected. I bet you're an amazing listener, Josh. I mean, who everybody wants to be married to a psychologist, you know, because. Yeah, but not, not when I get home from work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but he would be there in the in the evenings and I would start talking to him and he never really would sort of ask how I felt about my day or, or, you know, I'd sort of, yeah, you know, I ran, I did the, whatever I worked today, whatever. And I joked and I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a baseball cap and I'm going to wear it. And on the front of the cap, it's going to say, how are you? And when you walk in the door, you say those words to me, how are you? And, and just sit and listen. <laughs> That's all I really want. I just want you to hear me out. And I think that a lot of times parents say, well, my particularly teenagers, my teen doesn't want to talk. You know, kids have a lot to say. We don't encourage them to say it and to sit still while they say it. And I think even with little kids. Yeah. So do you have any tricks for how we can carve out time during the day to ask those questions and then just be still and listen to our kids? I mean, is that something that takes an hour or two or how do we, how do we put that into our day? Good question. Yeah. I, you know, I, as a, as a rule, I, I usually use the Deuteronomy 6, uh, four key times of the day that Moses describes, right? When you wake in the morning, you know, your kids are coming downstairs and, you know, their hair is disheveled and, you know, they're just kind of, you know, moping on in and they want to come in for a hug and, and embracing them in that moment. And usually they might not want to talk too much, but, you know, as you get the morning started, it's just a real key time. Uh, and then Moses says, when you walk along the way, drive time is a really good downtime. Uh, and when you're 
eating meals. So one of our rules is we have no technology at meals. We have no screens at any meal times. Uh, we just use it to sit and talk. And then bedtime, as you and I both mentioned already, tucking them into bed. I think these are real key built-in times already in the day where we're with our kids. And oftentimes what we'll do is we'll put screens in front of our kids during those times of day. And I think if you pull the screens away and you just created space for conversation during those key times of the day, that's those are those are real key moments. The other thing that I would say too is it's golden moments. Like I, I've talked to many parents and Meg, you could probably uh, speak to this as well. That people who've successfully raised their kids are often asked like, what really worked for you? And, and they'll say to me like, I hear so often about this term, some will use it differently, but it tends to be golden moments. There were these golden moments with my kids where maybe they were down and out, maybe they were just having a moment and and it, it became a teachable moment. They were fishing together, they, they were uh, driving somewhere together. It wasn't anything that was mm-hmm. planned. It just became a moment that the parent decided to step into because they could see a need in the child and the child just opened up. And these moments weren't like, like every single day, these moments were, you know, every so often, but those golden moments were pivotal in the life of the child. And, and, and so I think, you know, from a daily basis, honing in on those four key things, and then just really paying attention to golden moments. Well, you know, and the thing that I think parents need to realize too, is you don't need, as you said, you don't need them every day, even every month, because in a child's mind, if you have a great moment where they have this sort of epiphany or they feel closer to you or they feel more confident, that carries them a long way. You know, they might even look back, you know, on their lives and say, you know, and maybe they had a, two gold moments that year, whatever, they will tell you that they spend a whole lot of time talking to their parents, their parents make them. In other words, it expands in the child's mind. And that's one of the cool things um, about kids. So let's go back to worry and anxiety. We've just come through COVID and I yeah. saw a lot of anxiety and even very young kids. In general, let's talk about, you know, a couple of questions for you. What causes anxiety in kids? And how do we deal with anxiety in our kids? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. One of the things that I would do is I would differentiate uh, between worry and anxiety uh, just briefly. You know, I think every child worries, you know, every one of us has worries. Uh, You know, we worry about all kinds of different things uh, from a thunderstorm coming in. And is that going to turn into a tornado to um, I'm worried that, you know, my mom's going to make broccoli tonight for dinner. Um, You know, you know, all kids have worries. Anxiety tends to be a, a little bit more of a a longer term type of issue where the worry doesn't subside after the thunderstorm. You know, it becomes a situation where the child is in their everyday life just experiencing this and it starts to silence them or they start to, uh, you know, maybe um, experience changes in eating or changes in sleeping or maybe their grades start to suffer or their friendships, you know, are, are changing or that type of thing. And so you can start to see patterns in a child's life when worry starts to turn to anxiety. So, So the way I tend to see it is that anxiety is worry that was never truly resolved. So it's, it just continues on. And I think that's one of those things to pay attention to worry. You know, what do I do with worry? You know, I think all kids worry. I think, you know, kids are, you know, just like all of us do. And I think the more that we can get kids to talk about it, you know, neurobiologically, you know, as we talked about earlier with the, um, the bottom part of the brain, you know, that, that fight, flight or freeze, 
our ability to be able to put language to what it is that we're worried about has a calming effect on the brain. So what you're doing is in the right side of the brain, that here and now part of the brain's that experiential. It's what we're feeling and experiencing right now. The left side of the brain is that linguistic side. It's that being able to put language to what it is. And the middle part of the brain, the corpus callosum, I like to call it the binding of the book because what we're doing is we're trying to get our kids to tell their story. And so in when you get them to tell their story, what you're doing is you're binding the right and left side of the book. You're binding the experience with the language to that experience. And it's a it, it's called integration, neural integration. But um, really what it is, is it's helping our kids tell their story. And so when we're doing that, uh, you know, there's ways that we can get our kids to do that. The first one is talking about it. You know, in the book, uh, Willow's grandma uh, talks to her about, you know, releasing her worry birds. And the way that she, one of the ways she does that is she, you know, she says she talks to God in prayer. And then she also talks to, to grandpa. She, you know, grandma talks to grandpa, you know, when she's not doing well, or she has some worries. And, uh, you know, there's a fascinating piece to that, uh, neurobiologically, even in Philippians chapter four, Paul talks about when we, uh, you know, to, to name our requests, to, to make our requests, our worries, be anxious for nothing, but make your requests known to God. So label them, talk about them to God in prayer with thanksgiving. And I think Paul says that for a reason, because when uh, neurobiologically, what's been found is that gratitude and worry cannot coexist in the brain. So in other words, when we make gratitude lists, when we're grateful, when we live out of gratitude, it kicks worry out of our brain. And so the more that we can label and be grateful, so Paul says, make your requests, talk about them and be grateful for how God is going to show up for you. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a calming effect in your brain. And then it's not until then that Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, anything that's true, pure, holy, excellent, noble, praiseworthy, think on these things. So I think Paul understood that when we're worried or we're anxious, we don't think straight. And so as a result, one of the best things to do is label your worries, label them to God, talk to them, be grateful. And I think in a very finite way, we as parents are a piece that can calm our children's brains when they're worried, when we sit with them and listen to what they have to say. Parents, I really hope you're enjoying this conversation with Dr. Straub. I need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with more of my conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest is Dr. Joshua Straub. Let's walk through a scenario and I want to see how you'd handle it. Let's let's say, you know, you have a fifth grade son and he's a little awkward. You know, he's not super athletic, but he really wants to try soccer because he just wants to. His friends do it. But he's very concerned are worried that if he goes out and he plays on the team, people are going to make fun of him. He's not going to be able to run well, but he really wants to try. And as he comes close to starting the soccer, he's like, well, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? How should a parent handle that? You know, he's worried about being made fun of. What would you say to that mother in your practice? Yeah, great question. Yeah. So, so, uh, our worries usually start with what if. So in other words, it's what if the friends make fun of me? What if I don't run well? Uh, you know, what if I fall flat in my face? What if, you know, I'm, I never get to play and I sit on the bench. So they all start with what ifs. And so what we do is we have uh, kids either talk about their what ifs 
or or to draw their what if. So in other words, because a lot of times what ends up happening is is we will we will ruminate or, or, or the worry birds will you know flap all over our minds, making us feel unsettled inside. But what we'll do is we'll just constantly ruminate on our what ifs, uh, rather than flipping that to going well. What if the kids don't make fun of me? What if I am a good runner? What if I fit in? Um, what if I'm not good at soccer, but I I like it and I make friends doing it, right? So, so in other words, what we'll do then is we'll say, okay, why don't you draw your what if? What what is your what if that you're worried about? I'm the what if is is I'm worried that kids will make fun of me, so I'm going to draw that. And and a lot of times, you know, for especially the younger the kids are, they can't really label it or talk about it. So drawing it is another great way to be able to get them to put it on paper and and to see what's going on in their inner world because they're going to put on paper what's going on in their mind. And so get them to draw that what if. And then what we'll do is they'll say, okay, now draw the what if. And and depending on the faith background of the child, if the, if, if the child um, has a relationship with God, to be able to say, okay, now, now draw a what if with God showing up mm-hmm. for you. Or draw the opposite of the what if. What if you show up brave? Like what would happen if you showed up brave? Well, if I showed up and I did it, maybe there'll be kids who will help me. And and uh, yeah, I might not be that good, but um, I might find a new friend. And and then, you know, you also have to be realistic with it, right? Like in the book, um, you know, Willow's grandma says, you know, what I worry sometimes if grandpa gets sick. And Willow responds, well, what if grandpa does get sick? You know, these are very, what if I do get made fun of? Well, these are real things that could happen, but until we show up brave, um, they're going to rob us of truly living life. And so what does that mean to show up brave? And then let's deal with, if someone does make fun of you, let's make a pact to say, okay, why don't you come talk to me about that? And let's deal with that when the time comes, uh, because that could happen. There's mean kids everywhere. But on the other hand, there might be kids that you love and that champion you and want to support you. And so let's just show up and try it. And I'm going to be right here alongside you to support you in that. And so I think, you know, um, that support is a big big component of that to say, I want to help you show up brave. And by the way, if soccer is not your thing, let's come back and let's find the thing that is your thing. And let's, let's help you show up brave in that thing, right? In whatever that activity might look like. Parents can do that. I love that show up brave. I love that show up brave because we even struggle with it. You struggle with it. I struggle with it. You know, what if I do a podcast and say something stupid? What if I write a book that's just dumb? But anyway, and we've done it a million times. There are times in kids' lives developmentally where they worry about certain things. One of the things that I've seen with you know, between first, second and third graders is they worry about their parents dying and they worry about what will happen. Now their parents will die and I can't assure them that the parents aren't going to die in the, in the next year or two. So when you're dealing with, you know, kind of a real positive COVID, you know, I had so many young kids say, I'm so scared of COVID because what if my mom gets it and dies? What if my grandfather gets it and dies? And I couldn't reassure them of that. So how do you walk kids through very real fears that really impact your life? They're not just, gee, someone will make fun of the way you run. 
Yeah. And I, so, so this is um, one of the things that we, what we use in the book. And I was just going to read this, this piece here, because this is right where, where uh, Willow asks grandma, you know, what if, but what if grandpa does get sick? She asked, great question, sweetie. That's not something I can control, but I can choose what I do with my worry bird. So I can't control if, if my mom or my parents get sick or if someone or my grandparents get COVID or whatever that looks like, but I can choose to do what I do with my worry bird. So once I name it, I talk about it with someone who loves me like grandpa. I also talk to God and thank him for caring enough about me to hold my worry birds or my worries. Then I open my hands and I let my worry birds fly to him. And so I think this idea of of just helping kids be able to have someone that they love to be able to walk alongside them, to be able to say, you have this worry and we can't control everything. I mean, if 2020 was anything, it showed us that we don't have a lot of control in our lives, right? And so I think it's very important for kids to recognize that, to say, I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I do know. You have parents, you have grandparents, you have siblings, you have aunts, uncles, like as many people, you have pastors, leaders, teachers, coaches who love you and who want to walk alongside you, who want to support you. Because at the end of the day, we can choose what we do with our worries. And a lot of times what we do with those worries is how we show up for other people, talking to other people about them and feeling that support and that love. So I think the two big ways to really help kids um, when they have these big and very real worries that they can't control is number one, helping them keep a gratitude mm-hmm. journal or a gratitude list of the things that they're grateful for. Uh, what are the what are the blessings God has given you today? What are the things you're grateful for? And then number two, uh, helping them understand that there's people that are going to love and support them and not think that their worries are silly, or we're not going to minimize those worries. I think another big mistake we make as parents is like you said, you can't, con- you have no idea. You can't um, necessarily comfort those kids and go, Oh, that isn't going to happen. But yeah, we do that as parents a lot. Like we'll, we'll just, we'll minimize it or dismiss it be like, Oh, that isn't going to happen. Or that's not a big deal. And we just move on when the child's really worried about it. And I, so I think taking that worry very seriously is step one, uh, so that we don't minimize it or dismiss it. And then number two is being able to show them love and support that, hey, listen, when you have this worry, come talk to me because um, I want to be able to be there for you when you do worry about it so that we can get rid of it. We can pray it out. We can talk it out. We can draw it out. um, But that I want to sit with you and I want to show up for you when you have it. You know, as I hear you talk, I think that one of the, the great reasons that kids need a faith is because like us, when they let the worry birds go and they say, okay, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. They feel that they need to have something else. They need to be able to trust that if they let go of that worry, that somebody, a parent or God, is trustworthy to take care of them if. And, you know, a lot of times I think with our kids when they're little and they worry about us dying, I'd say, you know what, honey, I can't control that. But I do know this, that God is real and he will take care of you and he will bring people in that will help you. Because I think if you don't have a faith and and particularly if you don't have a lot of family around you, it's harder for people to give up worry because we think, well, then what, you know, then I'm kind of empty, I have nowhere to go. But I'll often say to my patients, you know, particularly parents who are really, really, really scared about 
you know, their kids having a brain tumor or something. I said, listen, my job is to worry and take care of your child's health. So let it go. And if you're afraid your child has a brain tumor, come to me. My job is to look and see if they do. That's good. So you need just someone who will receive your worries. That's good. It's a landing place for the worry birds, I guess is what I'm saying. And then you can turn and say, okay, now I trust you, God. Because if you don't have something to trust, I think it's harder to let go of the worry birds. Yeah. And that's it. And that's just it. That's the thing is when we let our worry birds go to the sky, that's when we're free to fly. It's like when we put them in God's hands, he's the one that can hold them. Cons- you know, he says, consider the lilies of the field. And when you study the lilies of the field in, in, in scripture and you, it's just the botanical growth there, we don't have time for it today, but it's just fascinating how lilies don't need to worry. Lilies, you know, they're, they're just, God takes care of them. God, you know, they, they're in season, out of season, they come and they, they bloom and it's just it's amazing. And, and, and the birds of the air, how much more? He takes care of the birds of the air, the lilies of the air. How much more will he take care of you? And then that, in that Matthew 6, then it goes on to say, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for the day has enough trouble of its own. And I think when you tie that to Philippians 4, where Paul's talking about, you know, be anxious for nothing. But as you said, give them to God, like give them to somebody, give them to that person. Let somebody else carry that worry. Your example, I think of, you know, we live here in Nashville, and so we get tornadoes quite a bit in the springtime, or at least tornado warnings, I should say, or tornado watches. We don't get a lot. I wouldn't say we get a ton of tornadoes, but we get the warnings, right? So so you get the warnings going off. Well, our kids are just, you know, they're worried, you know, and and and, and I constantly tell this. I think I tell them, guys, we got you. Like, we got this. You let us worry about the tornado because you, we're going to keep you safe. You don't have to worry about it. We right. got you. Uh, so it's the exact same thing you're saying with the brain tumor and the pediatrician. It's like, no, let me let me worry about that for you. Sometimes I'll even uh, verbalize a worry I think a parent has, but they haven't said it. For instance, if a child has is having severe headaches and pain and they come in, I know every parent's worried that child has a brain tumor. They're not going to say it because they don't want to look silly. So I'll say it for them. I'll say, you're worried that your child has a brain tumor, a bleed in the brain brain or whatever, aren't you? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I I don't know that you would do that with kids, that you'd necessarily identify a worry for them because you may not exactly know. But I think just, you know, encouraging kids to allow them to – externalize or talk about any worries that they can identify is an enormous first step. And it also validates their feelings. It lets them know we're okay with your worry. You know, you don't have to hide it from us. It's, it's really okay. And, and we can move this forward, particularly since, you know, kids like us, the same worries come back over and over the monsters under the bed. You can't just get rid of them in one night. You know, you have to talk about them um, uh, over and over. The book is what do I do with worry? And I will tell you, Josh, you're very clever. You wrote the book, not just for young kids. You wrote the book for parents because I've got some worry <laughs> birds that I need to let go, but it, it just takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of help. So I'm so grateful Thank that you. you wrote the book for people who want to learn more about you and the work that you do. Uh, where can they find you? 
Thank you so much. Yeah, at famousathome.com uh, is where we, we live. So yeah, check it out. Famousathome.com. You'll find all of our books and resources there. Famousathome.com. You also have a podcast. What's your podcast? Yeah, so Famous at Home podcast, uh, you can find that there as well. And my wife, Christy, and I, we talk about all kinds of stuff related to raising kids and having a great marriage and um, just really entering into our children's world. Mm-hmm. So uh, Famous at Home podcast, you can find that at famousathome.com. Do you have guests on your podcast? Yes, we do. Yeah. There's one guest you haven't ever had. <laughs> I have a bone to pick with you, Josh. How have we never done this? This is insane. But I just love ribbing everybody. And you're just so great. Oh. I mean, you're just so great. And yeah. um, so I would encourage everybody to pick up a copy of What Do I Do With Worry? I would encourage you, too, to pick it up for Father's Day, Mother's Day, Christmas, because it allows that parent to take that and talk to their kids on a deeper level. And you don't have to do the work. You just need to go and read along with the characters and Willow, um, which is a great name. Thank you, my friend. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. It's always an honor to be with you. Well, I really hope that you got a lot out of my conversation with Josh. I know even while we were talking about kids having worry, I learned a lot about worry. It was a lot of practical insight that you can take home with you today and understand and help your kids better. So, okay, let's go over my points to ponder. One, look beneath your child's behaviors to figure out why he's behaving Badly. So often kids act up because they're seeking attention or working out some feeling they can't articulate. Maybe they don't even know what that feeling is. So when your child acts up, always ask yourself, why is he acting this way? Even when your two-year-old's having a temper tantrum or your four-year-old won't talk to you. Once you can identify the reason, you'll find yourself responding to him very differently. Two, Give your child an emotional vocabulary. Once your child can communicate with you, give him words to his feelings by asking questions. Say, are you mad, sad, frustrated, or happy? Of course, when he's exhibiting those emotions. Then be sure to explain what these feelings are. We can teach kids to say the words, but if they don't know what they mean, it doesn't help. You can say to your child, are you frustrated? And they have no idea what you're talking about. I remember telling our grandkids to just be patient. After a couple of weeks, I realized they were four. They didn't know what the word meant. So I had to stop and tell them what the word patient meant. So don't always assume your kids know what the words are. Then encourage your child to use those words when they feel the feelings in the future. Three, try teaching your child sign language. Kids who are younger than nine months to a year can't communicate as much as they understand. They may know what you're talking about, but they can't answer you. And it's incredibly frustrating. If you can teach your child five to 10 basic sign words, this can help tremendously. There are great books available that will walk you through how to teach your child to sign. One of my favorites is Sign Me Up for a Happy Home by Elise Tate. Elise was a guest on my show last year, so go back and listen to episode number 128 if you want to learn more about how to teach your young child to sign. You'll get some great insights on it. 
I want to thank my guest, Joshua Straub, for joining me today on the show. To find out more about him, go to joshuastraub.com, J-O-S-H-U-A-S-T-R-A-U-B.com. You can also find Josh on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Joshua Straub in your internet browser. Let's recap my points to ponder. One, look beneath your child's behaviors to figure out why he's behaving badly. Two, give your child an emotional vocabulary. And three, try teaching your child sign language. And remember, check out meekerparenting.com and sign up for my private community. You'll love it. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Mike, producer of Dr. Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. At the end of our podcast, do you wonder, okay, how do I apply this to my life, to my kids? Dr. Meg keeps these discussions going in our brand new Parenting Great Kids community. She gives you answers to issues and clear steps to take to resolve them. Imagine having the ability to ask Dr. Meeker a question about your issues with your kids. Well, now you can. We've created a new Parenting Great Kids community where Dr. Meg answers readers' questions, posts videos on topics, adds a new parenting course monthly, and goes live with you once a month. Don't wrestle with your problems alone. Let Dr. Meg help you. Join us in the new PGK community. For more information, go to meekerparenting.com and look for the PGK community tabs.